Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And today our guest is Jane West. And Jane is CEO of Jane West. She's also founder of Women Grow. Jane, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Jane and I actually had a chance to connect in person in Denver not long ago. So we had a, we had a nice conversation and some fascinating history, a fascinating background. Jane, what, usually what I do is have guests just talk a little bit about their professional background and then how they got into cannabis, because there's always an interesting story, and yours is particularly interesting. So, so tell us a little yeah. bit about the background, because there's, uh, there's a history there. Certainly. So I had spent most of my career as an event planner in the nonprofit sector and most of my life as a cannabis user. And so when it became clear that adult use recreational cannabis sales were would be legal after January 1st, 2014. I decided to leverage my previous professional experience and start a business called Edible Events as event planner Jane West, where I would produce high-end events in art galleries with private chefs and live music and also allow for cannabis consumption mm-hmm. on premises to like really start to push social use into the forefront. I mean, as a cannabis user, I would much rather be able to go out on a patio and smoke a joint and just yeah. enjoy non-alcoholic beverages all night long. And, you know, my husband likes to just have a beer. So I just wanted to host a type of parties where both of us could attend. And I could also like wear a cocktail dress on a Friday night. Yep. And this was uh, this was Colorado, specifically Denver, right? Correct. Yep. In Denver, Colorado. Yep. I've, I've lived here for over a decade. Yep. So when was this? This was what year? So I started the companies in the fall of 2013. I actually had like gone out to dinner with a friend who had one of the more like modern edibles being produced at the time. 
and just had such a great night. I mean, I, it was the first time I had like kind of dipped my toe into the like modern or, or the more like contemporary infused products that were being made and really just like had such a positive experience. And it kind of like led to the thoughts about creating this events company. And so I kind of started setting the groundwork in the fall of 2013 and then waited until after adult use was legal and we held our first event January 24th, 2014 here in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, that was pretty early in the in the whole yeah. process. I mean, you were one of the first ones out of the gate doing this. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And that's why, I mean, it was so notable what I was doing and, and the fact that there was a place you could go and people would be consuming it and you could take pictures and they're all going to be dressed up. It's crazy. That was like how I ended up making a name for myself so very quickly. We I got so much press. Yeah. To I as if, I mean, at the time that was and, and that, you know, sadly, like it's still pretty much a news story in some prohibition states to be like this mom uses marijuana. And that was like the whole story back then. So, yeah. um, and we were just, you know, I was shamelessly talking openly about my cannabis consumption because I live in a adult use state and I think it benefits my life. And so I just kind of took that platform and ran with it. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, no such thing as bad press or, uh, <laughs> does it cut both ways? <laughs> You know, so yeah, things got 2014 was a very, very challenging year. And I really did start the event series as like a fun, additional small business idea, yeah. you know, based on the population of Denver and, and the newness of this market. I mean, the events company was not meant to be like a full company or a full-time gig. It was mm -hmm. more like a fun boutique thing I was doing where I got to implement really great creative event ideas that I had had over the past, you know, over my career, but never actually got to like put into place in a really like fun way with artists and chefs and live music. And it was great, yeah. but it was definitely more of just a little hobby. Yeah. Most of the events I just threw to like break even and have the fun of throwing them. And I was starting to tap into this whole other network of chefs and artists and gallery owners in Denver by putting the events together. And just that was a fun, you know, addition to my professional life. So it was definitely just something I was doing for fun. But as a result, after only hosting two events, I was asked to resign from my job in corporate America after a news story. So that was not something I expected would occur in any way, but uh, it really kind of thrust me into the space with like renewed determined. I had to figure mm -hmm. out what, what I was going to do here <laughs> yeah. in a really short amount of time. Cause like I've had a full-time job since I was in high school and that was the first time I'd ever been fired from anything. And the first time I ever like kind of set out to do something on my own. Yeah. It's kind of that the necessity is the mother of invention here, you know, so given, given the situation and, and given, I mean, it's certainly, you know, it's an interesting story because it's, it's both, uh, somewhat tragic series of events in terms of, you know, what happened to you professionally, but it also put, put you on a stage, you know, whether you wanted yeah. to be there or not. <laughs> Definitely. So talk to us a little bit how you got from, from there to uh, kind of, you know, the women grow, how, how you went from this yes. mom, entrepreneur, you know, event person dabbling in the cannabis space to all of a sudden becoming really one of the, the figureheads of the industry or the figureheads of the movement really. And, and how you got to that point of, really organizing it and putting some purpose and drive to it. Well, so the events, I spent the 
quarter one and two of 2014, like trying to really push social use forward and thinking that, that we might be able to really make some efforts there. And so I formed a partnership with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra and we held a series of summer events and even held a concert at Red Rocks. But in doing that and like taking them more into the spotlight, the city really started to crack down on any type of cannabis consumption events at all. And it became clear that it was not a safe enough space to be able to build a business at that time. So by the summer of 2014, even though I was hosting these amazing symphony events under the Classically Cannabis series, I knew that they were coming to an end until we could actually have laws in the books in black and white about what social use is. So what was I going to do now? Well, As a result of all the news stories and the different things that had occurred with my professional endeavors, Mm -hmm. people were contacting me on a daily basis, specifically women from all over the world about um, how do I get in the cannabis industry? I want to do what you're doing. I want to work for you. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to get a license. How do I do this? And and I, you know, I didn't know. I started an event planning business from before that. But in 2013, I did not know a single person that worked in the cannabis industry <laughs> in any shape or form. Yeah. So, I mean, I was like, don't ask me. I'm like, I got fired from a job. The thing I'm trying to do is not work. Like, yeah. like I'm not the best person for you. But in trying to help a few of the who reached out to me, it became clear that it was that at the end of the day, uh, marijuana legalization is a local issue. Like it's going to unfold on a state by state basis. Mm-hmm. And then after that, a county by county basis and the regulators and politicians are going to be the ones deciding what regulations look like and who has access to licenses and what it takes to get a license. And, you know, in Colorado, Amendment 64 is just such an incredibly well-written set of regulations that really supports small business. There's thousands of small business owners in Colorado that own cannabis businesses. And, you know, in other states where politicians and money and power got involved really early on, and there's really just not access to the market at all, unless you have a lot of lawyers and millions of dollars to prove an escrow, mm-hmm. which is unnecessary. But, you know, I couldn't provide advice to anyone about how to start a business in this space because every single state is so different. But what I observed in Colorado was that a lot of the the women and their and their business networks were like what they attested were like the reason for their success. And that on a local level, if you connect with other individuals trying to legalize, you'll start to build that like important coalition necessary to really affect change. And so by organizing women on the local level on a monthly basis, we can start to build that network that's necessary in order to be in the right place at the right time when regulations do get put in place in your geographical area. And so that was the premise of starting the business Women Grow. So the purpose is really kind of helping helping the industry develop, helping connect, carrying community. Right. How How, how did it play out in terms of organizing the actual movement, right? Because it's one thing to, to sort of create the purpose and say, okay, look, right. this is this is what we're going to do. But how do you organize this? I mean, you were getting calls daily with people who mm-hmm. want to be involved. Like, how do you plug them in, plug them into the effort and actually activate them? So I visualized like what the company would look like and then modeled it after an existing entity called Women 2.0, which is trying to change the gender disparity in the tech industry. And Women 2.0 gathers people together on a monthly basis in cities all over the world. And so that was kind of the framework. And then I launched the first chapter myself. So I 
Done. held the first women grow event in Denver, Colorado in August of 2014. And I just documented everything I did, like send out your email, update your Eventbrite, put this list in, set up the signage, get your volunteers, like everything I was doing. I just like tried to organize in some type of a SOP so that like I could share it with other people. And then my co-founder Jasmine Hop was much, much more digitally skilled than I was and would make videos of about what we're doing and about how to like do some of the things that we needed the women to do online. We started a like very, very basic application process. If you want to start a women grow chapter, we started getting inquiries from all over the world. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so we just kind of started building it out, building out a database and a list of women from all over the world interested in starting chapters and then providing them with the resources they needed to kind of get started. Yeah. So, and I love what I love about the story is it's a great kind of example of someone who has, you know, history, experience, skill set in one area, you know, event planning, you know, how to pull off events flawlessly and comes into the cannabis space and basically, you know, applies all of their knowledge to create a new thing in the cannabis space. Because I mean, even hearing you talk about, you know, creating the SOPs and stuff like that, I mean, that's, it's clear, like, you know what you're doing when it comes to running events and, you know, what a great way to apply it. So how has Women Grow kind of unfolded for you and how has it set you up for kind of the next thing that you're doing professionally here? Well, it only took me like a month of working on Women Grow to know that we were going to find a whole nother generation of incredible leaders to run it. Like I just, I knew from the very beginning that I just needed to like build something that had a structure and a framework and, and that I knew I could, that you could hold successful market leader events. And if I could do that for three months, then I knew I could teach others how to. And as soon as we got to that point that I'd have this whole, cause I just met the most like incredible, motivated, yeah. grounded, and like people coming from like, for all the right reasons to into this space around building women grow. And so I knew mm-hmm. that I could leave it in great hands. And so I built up a team and by the summer of 2016, I, w- I was no longer like employee or staff member or working directly on Women Grow. Mm-hmm. The next generation had kind of taken over uh, to take it into the future. That's impressive. You know, I think a lot of a lot of people, it would be natural or easy for them to to want to kind of stay in. I think it's, you know, I think it was a big, you know, it's definitely takes a a, kind of a big picture and it takes a bigger purpose to say, Hey, look, the best thing I can do is actually step out of a key critical operational role, focus more on advising and kind of guiding it and letting the next generation who are highly capable, have all sorts of new skills and ideas, let them drive it forward. Like way more creative. Like they're just the ideas that people will come to us with that they wanted to do were just like, such an, a great application of, of what we had built. And it was just so exciting. Yeah. And, you know, I really wanted to try to do something different and make, I had such a clear idea of the types of products I wanted to make and, and I wasn't seeing anything with that coming to the market. And, and so, and also like, you know, women grows, I just feel like is really egalitarian and yeah. it's about like everyone involved. So I definitely wanted to kind of take a step back and let them run with it. Yeah. And where, just give us a sense of where is women grow now? Give us, give us a, an outline of. So we have market leaders all over the country and in Canada that run women grow events every month. They, I think we're in about 15 cities right now mm-hmm. and we've got a lot of great applicants. Every year we have a national conference 
And for the past few years, it's been in Denver because it was just like a great, like fully developed market for other people to come be able to like step into, like we would do dispensary tours and grow tours. But this spring in 2019, the national conference will be in Washington, DC. And I'm looking forward to that. The new chairwoman of the board of women grows, Dr. Shonda Macias. She's a dispensary owner. Circle National Holistic. And so we're going to travel out to DC. We've always had like such a strong chapter there that was really like very politically involved. And we've had like representatives come to the events there. So, so yeah, so that's what's up next for Women Grow. Perfect. And and now that you're out of the operational role and, and not taking up quite so much time, what, what are you doing with your, uh, with your spare hours that you now have? <laughs> I'm trying to like build a global empire of awesome cannabis products that allow people to think differently about cannabis consumption and have like proudly showcase all these items in their homes and in their purse and uh, be there as I think, I think a lot of my current customers don't realize how much they're going to enjoy incorporating cannabis into their lives yet. And so I'm trying to help them do that. Awesome. And so, and who is your kind of target or your core customer? Who, who are you specifically trying to serve with the new brand? Well, I am a dedicated flower user. Mm -hmm. So for all my home goods and accessories, I've specifically designed products that are best for use with flour. Mm -hmm. And then um, secondly, I choose to incorporate CBD into my life in the form of my morning coffee and then like a dry capsule that I take in the morning and at night. And so those are two of the other products that we're bringing to market. And so, you know, in general, we're a female-led owned and operated brand and company. Mm -hmm. But yeah, our, a lot of our customers are just new users who are looking for thoughtful, sophisticated ways to incorporate cannabis in their lives. Yeah. And what do you think in terms of where, where the industry's been and, and where you see it going? You know, how, how is your brand kind of playing into this? Like, what do you, what aspect or what angle of the market are you most interested in kind of just trying to adopt or trying to go after strategically? Mm -hmm. um, well, I do think that CBD is a great first step into, you know, starting to like understand cannabis for wellness. And so our consumables line with the coffee and capsules, I think is a really good first step. And then additionally, you know, in order to start using more flour in your life, I think you, you just need the right products in order to do that and have it be something that is just a natural new healthy habit. Mm -hmm. So we partner with licensed growers on a state-by-state -state basis and we're making little mini joints okay. come in five packs and 10 packs. And I think it's a really great way to have new users kind of start like, it's like it's a hundred percent pure bud. It's finely ground. It's already mm -hmm. rolled into a teeny tiny little joint for you. And it's just the perfect size. So just yeah. try this, just try this yeah. and let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So we've kind of really broken it down. So we sell them in day and night. So it's like very simple and it's a great way to just like incorporate the products in your life. You know, infused products can be scary for new users who are worried about the effects of cannabis on them and like consuming flowers a great, like it's a great quick uptake. And then just like kind of remembering what it's like, what the psychoactive effects of cannabis are and yeah. enjoying them. And then like having it, you know, it fades fairly quickly, especially when you're like consuming a reasonable dosage. So yeah, it's just a good way to like start dipping your toes in it again. Yeah. So I always love hearing and to the extent that you're willing to share, what are some of the challenges that you've had, you know, as you kind of design the products, figure out the strategy, go to manufacture, distribute, like mm -hmm. where have you seen, you know, just as yeah. an entrepreneur and a business 
business owner, what has worked particularly well? And then, you know, what hasn't? What are mm-hmm. what do people need to know about getting into this space and trying to build brands and build products? Okay, well, I'm going to divide it into two, into the boring part and the exciting part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest challenges in the boring part are importing customs, merchant services, and fulfillment. Okay. And then ultimately, fulfillment goes back to issues with insurance, liability, storage, and all the things that are involved with this just like brand new market where people don't know and and it ultimately they don't want to operate in a gray zone. And so, you know, you're looking for all these services in order to scale your business up and you need to know that you can rely on trusted vendors. And so it takes a lot of education to help people understand, okay, there's no weed in here. (laughs) And this is it. And this is that. But then, you know, it's also really complicated. This isn't a simple, this is this or it's not that. So like full spectrum CBD oil has trace amounts of THC in it. And that point alone is kind of really hard for people not familiar with with this substance to like understand. So so on the business side, those have been some of the biggest issues in what I've been doing. And then on the more like fun consumer education and, and focus group side, there's really not a very good lexicon or like dictionary of what we're talking about here. Hmm. And so like, for instance, just the word vape alone, people think it, people think it's, those. I mean, people, especially in the center of the country think vape is just that juice, e-juice filled with nicotine. And and now I understand why they think that because the vape shops are filled with this stuff. Yeah. And, and, but then there's also vape pens, but then like we're vaping like flower vapes, yeah. which are great. Like, I think one of the healthiest ways to consume and also like Flower vaping specifically, really, I find like is a great like upper. Like I like to do that before like exercising. Mm-hmm. And so just to try to explain, hey, use a flower vaporizer for before exercising is not so simple because there's all these you have to say all the things it's not and kind mm-hmm. of explain what it is and and everyone's kind of using the same words and and so yeah so interesting as we like go into more consumer research and feedback how like the very words you're using matter in terms of like one hitter and taster and like the different types of, of ways we're explaining even what these products our new customers are holding are. It's interesting because I think I think it's been one of the challenges or, or one of the kind of interesting dynamics is coming out of this, I'll call it kind of a pot culture, a historical pot culture that that it intentionally has created a lot of lingo, a lot of inside terms, yeah. you know, kind of inside yeah. baseball kind of things to actually differentiate itself, to make it kind of exclusives or make it tough to enter. Yes. Like it's you're, you're in the club kind of thing. Oh, we trademarked that. We trademarked drops and now that's what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but now now that we're now this is you know this is becoming you know a, a, if not mass market at least a, you know a common market kind of set of products and how how do we kind of rewrite the scripts rewrite the playbooks rewrite the lexicon to now work right. um, you know and some of it's because it's complicated you know, like the traditional <laughs> pop culture is kind of a complicated one but it's also it's laden with you know history and you know a certain stigma so uh, mm-hmm. I guess where where are you seeing Actually, what was the Mid Mid Men just just tried to uh, brand? I forget what it was. They went to court and tried to try to trademark something. But 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 it's this game right now. Like everyone's everyone's trying to land grab terms and uh, things. How how do you see this playing out? I mean, is it going to be um, you know people kind of grabbing these different names, trying to own them, and then they become kind of just general industry terms, or what's the strategy? 
I think at the end of the day, like high quality products are what people are going to be drawn to because these these are like consumables that we're using on a regular basis. So I think the leaders in defining the terminology will be the leaders in the industry who are selling great products. And so we're me like as a company at Shop Jane West, we're just being extremely thoughtful about what words we use and then sticking to them. And then like whenever we're asked for definition of them, we provide it and, you know, hope others kind of follow the same. And additionally, like, like I'm really going for like global domination here. So <laughs> we are like at positioning ourselves as a, as a global cannabis brand. And we have investors from over 17 countries and I have a lot of like feature articles in other countries. And so there's a whole other level of this to what we're trying to do because it's how the journalist then also translates what you're telling them. Yeah, the, the, the stuff is. Yeah. There's like a German article about women grow back in the day where really they kept using a word that would most likely be translated as addicts. Because we were, we were really, we were, yeah. we were like, we were pretty strict about being open that we use cannabis like almost every day, yeah. right? Yeah. And so the word they used to describe us was this <laughs> addict word. And and uh, Julie, back, some a German speaking friend was like reading it to us, and they were like laughing, like they're like, it sounds like you guys are like hanging <laughs> pockets all day, like. And so, and that's just because they didn't, you know, yeah. what word to use. So, so anyways, so that's just like a whole nother level to it. That's pretty interesting about how this uh, keeps expanding. Yeah. Do you see, you know, I, I haven't really done the mapping, but it is sort of the pot culture historically different by different country. I mean, I certainly we're familiar with the kind of the California, U.S. California one, but what is the... When you start looking globally, what is the differences? Oh, my God. I mean, it's just like night and day everywhere. It's so fascinating. It's yeah. just so fascinating. Last fall, I spent a, a week in Prague and like really kind of learning like the European market a bit. And that's just that's super joint, like uh, home rolled, individually rolled joints, mm -hmm. many times rolled with tobacco and like yeah, very little product, very little equipment, like the, no dabbing at all. Yeah. Cans are built on the seed, the seed varietal. It's just like a very different market. I bet it's kind of what I've, in my understanding, like they took the rules that they could get away with and made the most they could out of a market. And it's based on like the seeds that the, the cannabis has grown from. But yeah, no, it's very interesting. And, and um, the most fascinating part is how quickly everything is changing. And that like, just when I started my first business, in the space, it was exactly five years ago. And I couldn't even find a picture of a woman with <laughs> weed in it that wasn't like this like tits and ass shot. Like yeah. not, one, not one picture like that exists on the internet. When I started my LinkedIn account, I could type in the word cannabis to LinkedIn and there were less than 10 pages of people willing to put that word in their job description. So like those two things alone, like seeing how much that's changed that like, I can now like, there's like all these different competing media companies going for like the young millennial weed user. I mean, that's like amazing. That's so amazing. Yeah. So, and I just think like, it's just going to change all these images that we just, we had such like outdated, uneducated, stereotypical imagery about cannabis use for so long that like, 
there's just such people have like such fixed thoughts about it. And so by like having it be so much more accessible to so many more people and people not being ashamed of talking about how much it's benefited their lives, it's really, really like changes all the visuals and who's speaking out about it and who's hearing it, who's hearing, really hearing what they're saying too. And so everything's just changing so rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and looking kind of beyond or bigger than the business, I mean, what, what do you think, if we just kind of look at a policy or a social point of view, what do you think needs to be on the agenda in terms of the sort of the cannabis community and the and, and policy making? Uh-huh. Like, what, what are the important factors or the important issues that you want to make sure people are discussing or focusing on? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, the question that I'm, I'm asked most, so there's like very, very important social justice issues that are not being addressed in any way, shape or form. Um, especially regarding like expungement, which should like expungement law and the laws around each state's like policies to that should be defined before you can sell cannabis in that state. <laughs> like they should know that should be part of this. And sad that it hasn't been. In, and but we still have you know states to go that maybe they can change the path there. And then, but and so like that's important. And secondly, at least for me, because so often the question people are asking me is about starting a business in the industry. You know. At the end of the day, whether or not you're going to start a business in the industry has to be directly correlated with the opportunity available to you. And what I watched evolve in Colorado with Amendment 64, which is like a somewhat unlimited licensing model that really supported small business in the state, was incredible and wonderful. And and candidly, like, and I, this is probably me being my naivete, but at the time, but like, I couldn't imagine that additional states that came on would have a more restrictive law. I mean, my God, first one's doing this. How could, how could these other states come on and, and be so much more restrictive that only like 10 people get licenses and all of those 10 people are, you know, you like that there's no diversity, there's no diversity. And like, what is like, it's so, that's not what I pictured. And I guess, and I, 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 that's not what I picked the way I pictured it evolving. And so I think it's just people who are interested in, in starting businesses and especially people who are interested in start entering into the cannabis space, especially in prohibition states. Mm-hmm. should really take a look at Amendment 64 and at the way Colorado legalized because it's it's inevitable. Uh, the legalization of cannabis is now like inevitable. Sure, maybe there'll be like places that never have it, just like yeah. those dry cities, but like this is inevitable. And so now with other side of the fence you're on, what you should be asking, how is this going to happen? Yeah. Who is going to benefit from this? Who is going to own these businesses? Who is going to control this sector? Because it's going to be part of all these different states. But what I've seen happen in Colorado is inspiring and exciting. And what I'm seeing happen in other states around the country looks more like just like monopoly structures. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's that's something that is now I think coming on people's radars more and more as as we see these states playing out uh, and the impact the policy has over who who actually benefits you know who gets involved who has a you know a seat at the table is you know is becoming more of a concern. So if people want to find out more about Jane West the brand and Jane West the person, <laughs> what's the best uh, best way to get more information? They should go to janewest.com. That's kind of our portal for all things Jane West. That'll direct you to places where you can learn more about our glass line, which is basically for like home use flower. And I have a travel collection that's for on the go portable use. And then uh, this holiday, we're bringing to market 
our CBD line in the form of a coffee and a capsule. So um, all the information about the products are there and we can direct you to them through janewest.com. Um, you can follow us at Shop Jane West. You can follow me at The Jane West. And uh, yeah, just watch uh, watch us grow. And we love feedback. So you can always um, send that along on the website. And we'd love to hear what you think. Perfect. And Jane, thank you so much for taking the time. Great conversation. It's really a pleasure to have you on the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.